drink and I know things. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. What's up, y'all? And welcome to I'ma Need More Wine, a podcast about shit we like and shit we don't like. This is Christine, and with me is my co-host Jocelyn. Today, we pick up right where we left off, discussing the shit we liked and the shit we didn't like about the groundbreaking and historic HBO series, Game of Thrones. But let's get back to something positive. We're going to talk about our favorite minor character. You go first this time. Who is your favorite minor character? Or if you want to give us a few, give us a few. But Christine, dish it. Okay, so I feel like I might be disrespecting her as calling her a minor character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, debate me if you want to. No, but... no, no! Don't you? Don't do it! Don't fucking debate! <laughs> Wait, let me just. No, no, no! Let me just say this real. Let me just. Christine said what the fuck she said. We are not here for the debate me bros. We are here for challenges and and for people to push back. You know, our friends, our listeners, that's good. But y'all, if y'all have been on social media, you know the debate me bro. You know those people. This ain't your lane, buddies. I just want to be very clear on that. (laughs) Okay, apologies that I have interrupted you. Please bless us, Christine, with your, your favorite minor character. Okay, so, you know, I wrote I wrote her name down, and now I feel bad. Like, I really do feel like I may be disrespecting her by calling her a minor character. But my favorite, favorite, absolute reveling in some shit I like is Miss Elena Tyrell, the Queen of Thorns. Okay. okay. She is my grandmother. She is the woman I aspire to be. She is just snarky as fuck. Don't give a fuck. Smarter than everybody. Ruthless as fuck. Willing to like kill for her family in order to get them in a place of power that is long lasting, if not everlasting. She's a fucking survivor. She loves her family. And she's just this fucking powerhouse. I mean, there's only one other person who managed to go toe-to-toe with Tywin Lannister, and that's our ultimate fave, Miss Arya Stark. Mm-hmm. So me and Olena, like, for real, if I could sit down and have wine and cheese with anybody, it's Olena. Mm-hmm. Olena is here for women. She is empowering the shit out of her granddaughter. She is in awe of Brienne. She's like, I love my grandson, but he ain't shit. My son ain't shit. But I'm going to lift up these women. I'm going to try and be here for Sansa, even though she kind of frames Sansa for murder. But whatever. We're going to overlook that for a second. <laughs> She's just a fucking boss. And... She went out like a fucking boss. So she is my ultimate favorite minor character. Can't nobody say shit against this woman without me getting all riled up and up in their face. She sparked so many fucking memes of tell Cersei. I want her to know it was me. Mm -hmm. Yo, those cats. 
<laughs> the cats came Those through. Those cats and the fucking blinds are like boxes on their head. Tell Cersei. I want her to know it was me. Yo. Olena motherfucking Tyrell. Okay. And I'm out. You can debate us on this. You're not going to win. I, I thought we weren't inviting people. We're not. But when it comes to Elena, if you're trying to really debate me, bro, on this one, on that subject, bring it. You're not going to. You're just wrong. Remember when I said some people aren't wrong for feeling X, Y, and Z. If you didn't love Elena Tyrell, you were wrong. And I'm sorry. If those are just the facts. And I'm just going to move on. That's all I have to add to that. Okay. In terms of my my favorite minor characters, I, I love that you had this struggle with whether or not to like categorize her as a minor character because there was a there was a passing moment when I wanted to talk about Varys and I couldn't decide whether he was major or minor, mm. so I just completely like took him off the plate and said fuck it, I'm not going to talk about him at all. So I love that you struggled with that because I too had that same struggle. So here are my he okay. You know I have a few, but I'm going to be very brief, and I'm going to bucket them. So first, <laughs> first, remember way back when, it's either going to be at the start of this episode, or hey, it might be in the previous episode if this ends up being a two-parter. I talked about musical cues. Well, one of my favorite minor This char- is likely going to be a three-parter. Let's be for real. Okay. Like, I'm here for gentle it. Gentle listener, at this point, <laughs> we've been recording for over four hours. Yes, yes, we have. Um, so one of my favorite minor characters is fucking Jack and Hagar. And one of the things I love about Jack and Hagar is because he has the sexiest fucking musical cue for your ass. Like, it'll just make you body roll (laughs) when that, like, I know that I have tweeted about it before, like, that sexy Jack and Hagar music. I mean, the actor is sort of hot. We're going to talk about our thirst list and jackin is not on my thirst list so i want to sort of you know hold him up in thirst and lust now that we're talking about him as a favorite minor character but as someone who loves aria as a major character how can i not at least elevate one maybe two once i keep talking one or two characters that are you know integral to her journey and jackin is one of them i just i don't know i love it like how can you not have fun like a man such and such like a man is lusting after jackin a woman is lusting after jackin hagar there's my there's my jackin hagar tribute like y'all his music is sexy as fuck i love his character he was important to Arya, and going back to my whole thing about just loving, loving karma, loving payback, and just really getting at the people that need to get it. I mean, Jockin really gives it. Can I tell y'all, if a man showed up to me and was like, listen, who are you trying to take out? Let me, y'all, I, I don't know that I can handle that kind of power. Yes, you can. We started off this whole fucking thing with, if we had a dragon, yeah. who the fuck would we torch up? We did. Yes, you could. I don't know why I'm trying you to You with your Scorpio ass, you would wield that power in five minutes, I, I would have a list. I mean, okay, here's what I can say. My list would be for the greater good. It would not be a personal list that I really have jockin. It would be a, it would be a greater good list. There are some people that could go on the personal list, and I just would absolutely be for the greater good of humanity. Like, listen, we need this motherfucker out the paycheckin. Okay, so, all right, I've gotten jockin out of the way. So then my second category of, like, 
favorite minor characters are characters who very much give you like the I'm tired of everyone shit kind of vibe. And when I thought about that, there's two. One is problematic. One is less problematic. So my problematic fave in terms of minor characters who are tired of everyone's shit goes to Robert Baratheon. Who is just always tired of everybody's shit. And there is nothing that like brings me more joy than him referring to the Lannisters, you yellow-haired shits. Like, hey, guys, it's just amazing. And if you like have the DVDs, listen to the behind the scenes commentary because like Lena Headey also very much loves. Let me first of all, let me just say I would risk it all for Lena Headey. I would marry Lena Headey. Lena Headey, if you ever hear this podcast and you're single and you're on the market. Mama slotted to my DMs because I kind of love you because I feel like I get your quirkiness and I, I feel like I get you and I feel like I get your, your sort of, I get you and, and I don't know, I, I would, I would just get all for Lena, um, Christine. Um, but long story short, Lena, uh, tangent aside, Lena is also obsessed with that line about you yellow haired shits. So I, I kind of love Robert Breathing is obviously very problematic. I mean, he was very abusive, just not the best husband, not the best leader. But that sort of exhaustion with everything and just being tired of all of the bullshit is something that I find very relatable. So I find him to be kind of a delightful, problematic minor favorite character in some ways and in that same category but like maybe less problematic but also like minor character who's tired of your shit I would put in the hound who is perpetually tired of everyone's shit I love the hound that also goes back to my whole thing about how Arya is my favorite major character so I'm gonna have love for people who are important and significant to her journey and the hound is certainly one of them and to put a button on all of this, my other favorite minor character, who I don't think gets enough love from this this fandom, and if I ever got a pet, I, I go between this whole, oh, I want a cat, I want a dog. My pet would be named Jojen, because I love me some fucking Jojen Reed. And the thing that I don't feel like people really ever appreciate about Jojen is the fact that Jojen had the sight he had the vision that motherfucker knew he was gonna die and still went on that trip with Bran still went on that whole ass journey with Bran guys all of us aren't gonna do that I can't say that if I had the gift of like seeing into the future and I'm like man I'm supposed to go help this motherfucker but if I do I'm gonna get like you know these 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 undead people are gonna rock my ass and then my sister's gonna have to like mercy put me down I don't know that I have like the strength to do that but our sweet precious baby Jojen did and I just feel like he deserves all of the love and support and so that's why he is on my list of favorite minor characters so I am so happy you brought up Jojen because now I get to go on one of my soapboxes yes do it I have been trying to get justice for this character for so long and it is for Mira fucking Reed Uh, she does not get the acknowledgement that she deserves no she does not yo not only does Brand owe everything to Jojen who is basically like his John the Baptist Mm -hmm. right he's like the harbinger and all this shit like he's the one that 
get Bran on the path that he needed to be on. But it's Mira who literally, like, takes him down the path. She protects him. And, again, this whole thing with needing justice for Mira starts with her having to kill her own fucking brother. Yep. Then getting trapped in this cave with Bran while Bran levels up and she's just sitting there. And then she takes him through the fucking north, north of the wall, all by herself. After Uncle Benjamin just left their the asses behind with no horse. Dead <laughs> behind her. Yeah. Like, this shit's crazy. And then gets through the wall, carries him down the fucking King's Road to Winterfell, gets there, and she's like, yo, the army of the dead is coming. I gotta go be with my family. And Bran's like, I... That's it? Like, seriously, that's it? That's all you're gonna give Mira Reed, who fucking sacrificed everything for your ass? Like, I understand that, like, you got all the knowledge in the world, and you're kind of fucked, and Bran kind of died in that cave and shit, but, like, she was your ace. Mira Reed was that bitch, okay? Like, Oh, as, sorry, as Killmonger got... once said in Black Panther, is this your king? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I had such a problem with Bran in that moment. Mirror Reed, the savior of the fucking Seven Kingdoms before Arya. Bran owes everything to those two. They both saved his fucking life. Yes. And Mira Reed gets no fucking thanks. Arya's got all the glory. She's the hero of Winterfell. People could be fucking singing songs about her for centuries. Who the fuck knows about Mira Reed? Who's going to be singing songs for Mira Reed? Somebody write a song for motherfucking Mira Reed, please. I need I, it. I need I, it. I Justice hope she survived. I hope she survived no. the big attack. We know we never get any closure on that. So the neck is south of Winterfell. Mm. So I'm sure that her and all the other Crowning Men survive. It, I think it's going to play out differently in the books. Mm-hmm. But, yep. I do too. But but for real, yo. Like, justice for motherfucking Mira Reed. Mir- the Reed kids, they were a fuck. They just, listen, don't, don't. You know what? Okay, you said it all. So, let's keep. But, 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 if we want to add shit. Okay, let's go there. <laughs> I'm here. Listen, this is something that, as a book reader, I was kind of hoping for in the show. But where the fuck was Howlin' Reed at the end? Like, the Reeds are literally the most loyal bannermen that the Starks have. And at no point in time does Howlin' Reed show up. Howlin's still alive. Mm-hmm. He sent his kids up. But really, that was more about helping Bran, not really, like, responding to the call for the banners. Plus, Helen Reed was the only person who was there at the Tower of Joy and could confirm that Jon is, in fact, at minimum, the daughter of Lyanna Stark. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I really, I really wanted Helen Reed to show up. So this is one of those things where, 
you know, folks are like, oh, you're just mad because things didn't go the way you wanted them to. Or if you were a writer, you would have written shit differently. <laughs> no, it's not that. I'm Listen, I could just be disappointed that he didn't show up. Do I think the show suffered for lack of Helen Reed? No. Show suffered for a whole bunch of other different reasons. But it still would have been nice. To get some Helen Reed. And you can want some Helen Reed without being a fucking bitter Betty. That is my point. Like, it it does not warrant anyone attacking you or sliding into your DMs or your mentions like a fucking crooked-ass Kool-Aid man with the worst fucking Kool-Aid ever because you wanted some goddamn Helen, Helen Reed. You know what? Let's stay ranting. Let's stay ranting. Let's do it. Who was your least favorite minor character? Okay. I'm ready. I'm snapping. I don't know why I'm snapping right now. The high fucking sparrow. Fuck that guy. Because let me tell you something. I'm not a fan of organized religion. I am particularly not a fan of organized religion. When it called, like, for homophobia, because it didn't like what happened with Loris, and I'm not a fan of it, when the person that's at sort of the top of this organized religion thinks that he is just so wedded to his own personal knowledge, wisdom, and faith, that he fucking lets Marjorie die when Marjorie's the smartest fucking person in the room. So fuck the High Sparrow. I really hated that character. Um, I love Cersei, but this that shit was all Cersei's fault for putting the High Sparrow in power. Um, shout out to the podcast who coined him the High Sanders because he does bear a striking resemblance to a particular presidential candidate, which tickles me. Um, but yeah, no, fuck the High Sparrow, my least favorite minor character. I touched my soul and that's where I landed. I mean, my least favorite jam is like organized religion used to ostracize and kill people so fuck that dude but i really fucking hated that character i don't really have much to say because i hated him so much i just really hate when organized religion is used to do the very worst to people and i just think that he just caused a lot of fucking issues i mean i guess the best thing that could be said is that the high sparrow gave us Jamie hopping up them steps on that horse, which was pretty fucking hot. But other than that, I had very little use for that motherfucker. I mean, I liked him. I liked him in that, you know, he was a great example of the patriarchy being super fucked up. Um, so I, I didn't hate the High Sparrow as a character. So again, with me, it's not like the characters themselves. It's the treatment of them. Mm -hmm. So for me, my least favorite minor character was a group of characters. And that was pretty much anyone from Dorne Uh. who was not, who was not Illyria Sand or Oberyn Martell. Mm -hmm. And and let me tell y'all something. When I read A Song of Ice and Fire, I identified with one house. And no, it wasn't the Starks. The Starks, far and away, are my favorite Game of Thrones family. I stand them. I want to be adopted by Ned and Catelyn. I'm a Stark. But when I read the books, I am House Martell all the fucking way. I love me some Doran. I love me some Oberyn. Mm -hmm. I just love 
everyone from Dorne. All of the sand snakes are fucking badasses. There's this one snake, there's one sand snake who they don't even introduce to you on the show. Is she right? the dark one? Like, is she the one that might actually look like a black person? <laughs> <laughs> she's the one who is over at the Citadel. I can't remember if she's the dark one or not. But that's the other thing about Oberyn's daughters is that they are a beautiful range of skin colors. And uh, you don't yeah. get that. Like, they're very... <laughs> light they're all slightly tanned yep um or what i would call sun-kissed and not the orange drink so, <laughs> so i fucking love the sand snakes i love everybody in dorn i love aria hota like every listen doran Littlefinger and Varys are the three most important characters in the fucking books like don't shit happen in the seven kingdoms without those three pulling strings like every fucking thing the three of them one of the three of them is behind it right Mm -hmm. so i stand house martell but the way dorn was treated on this show is such a fucking sacrilege such a sacrilege is so fucking disrespectful so the yeah. sand snakes are my least favorite minor characters because they just fucked them up they gave them such bad dialogue it was just horrendous what they did to them you oh, mean and that's all i gotta say about y- that you I mean you didn't like them. you didn't like the bad pussy or the bad pussy or bad whatever it was pussy <laughs> that's terrible no god <laughs> So, Jocelyn, let's get into character arcs, the shit we liked and the shit we didn't like. So, let's start off with the positive, as usual. Who had your favorite character arc from the whole show? Okay, so I think everyone listening by now knows that I love Arya. And Arya is certainly probably at the top of my list. But if I'm being honest, my favorite is our sweet, precious baby Theon. I mean, guys... There was a time, what is it, season two and season three, where Theon could have died and I wouldn't have given a single solitary fucking shit because I was like, that guy is the worst. But even in the midst of like Theon being the worst, I kind of understood sort of, you know, why he felt slighted, why he never fully felt like a Stark. Like, I love everything about the conflict between, you know, being a Stark versus being a Greyjoy. And I I mean, shout out to Alfie Allen. God damn it, Alfie Allen. You are a fucking brilliant actor. And... Amen. I mean, I mean, it just goes without saying that no disrespect to any of the actors who won awards for their performances on the show. But goddamn, Alfie Allen fucking deserved a trophy or two. <laughs> because the performance that he put in is Theon Greyjoy. I mean, part of it is the writing. Part of it is the characterization. Part of it is the art. But a lot of it is the Alfie Allen aspect of it. And just sort of the, the strength of that performance. I don't know that every actor or any actor could have done and sort of compelled the emotions um, that I felt about that character and sort of the the journey that I went through with someone that, I mean, I legit 
listen, Theon could have been on fire and no one could have offered to like put that fire out and I would have been totally fine. That was Jocelyn at like season, what, two or three when he's like the Prince of Winterfell and taking over shit and like really making life hell for my sweet baby Rickon who, I mean, just got just... Just so much love for Rickon. Um, and Bran, but where we end up, and Christine, you touched on this earlier about, you know, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, I think it was, or maybe it was in your discussion about Sansa and how she spends, you know, that night before the battle, you know, having a meal with Theon. I mean, can we talk about that? There's so many Theon moments I can talk about, right? But I want to talk about when he shows up at Winterfell, and wants to fight, and and Danny is there, and 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 Sansa is there, but it's that connection with Sansa where he looks at her and he was like, you know, I I want to fight for Winterfell. I want to be here for you. It's 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 him finally embracing the fact that like this is his family, and it's okay to to feel that connection and that loyalty to both the Greyjoy side of yourself and the Stark side of yourself, which I think starts with the conversation between John and Theon. I can't remember which season it is, but it's like, you know, one of the last, you know, I think it may be the last season between the two of them where John just basically says, dude, like, you, you, you're so caught up with trying to choose between the two. Your family, you're both of them, like, own it. And, and you can tell that that had a lasting effect. I love that it's such a good scene for both Kit and Alfie, and I love how that ultimately plays out with Theon returning to Winterfell and pledging to fight against the army of the dead. I just, I love Theon Greyjoy. I, I love Theon and, and Yara, but since we're, talk, we're talking about Theon, I just love Theon with my whole fucking heart. I fucking love him. His story arc, like I said, you know, people have their qualms with Dan and Zay, but his story arc is is one of my favorites. It's just so beautiful and so breathtakingly heartbreaking and just it it is just really really good. It's the writing, but it's also the performance itself. Um I will be forever grateful to Alfie Allen for giving us such a brilliant brilliant portrayal of Theon Greyjoy, um, and, you know, second to Arya, and maybe I feel more passionately about Theon's arc than Arya, now that I'm actually digging into it, but it's a journey, you know, from start to finish with, with Theon, and it's a good, very rewarding, very, um, well-developed journey that I love. Christine, give me all your Theon feels. So Theon was actually my favorite character arc as well. I was one of those people who was like, fuck Theon. I wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. Fuck that character. I hate him. And he just kind of felt like torture porn for so long. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until that scene at Dragonstone that you mentioned where he comes out after John and he's like, dude, you always seem to know how to do the right thing. And John's like, no, the fuck I don't. Doing the right thing is really hard, and it could seem easy on the outside, but it's not. It's a tortured decision. And Theon just being like, 
well, I'm tortured by this whole, like, am I a Stark? Am I a Greyjoy? Because to act as one would be to disappoint the other. I always wanted to do the right thing. Be the right kind of person. But I never knew what that meant. It's always seemed like that. Like there was an impossible choice I had to make. Stark or Greyjoy. Our father was more of a father to you than yours ever was. He was. And you betrayed him. Betrayed his memory. I did. But you never lost it. He's a part of you. Just like he's a part of me. From the things I've done. It's not my place to forgive you for all of it. But what I can forgive, I do. You don't need to choose. You're a great joy. And you're a Stark. Giving him that freedom to be his authentic self, which is so fucking important. To stop trying to fulfill the expectations that others have of you and just fulfill the ones that you have of yourself. Who's the man you want to be? Exactly. Fuck what your dad thinks. Fuck what your adopted dad thinks. Who do you want to be? And mm -hmm. giving him the freedom to make that choice and still call himself a Greyjoy and still call himself a Stark was so incredibly important. And I didn't realize until the second time I saw that episode how critical that moment was. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I absolutely fell in love with Theon Greyjoy and wanted nothing but a perfect death for him mm -hmm. which i think he got and the thing is for me the reason why theon has the best arc in my opinion is not just because it's the most one of the most endearing and one of the most satisfying it's because it's complete and they gave him time for his story to be complete so everything else seemed super rushed. We've been complaining about how like everyone's ends could make sense if only given the time to actually flesh out like what's happening, what's the struggle they're going through. And I think Theon's arc was the one that got the time that it needed mm -hmm. in order to be satisfying. So I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's a story of trauma. It's a story of trying to overcome trauma. Again, I've said I really appreciated the fact that they showed that getting through trauma is not linear, that you will have setbacks. Mm -hmm. But Theon died a gray Stark. He did. And Sansa pinning that Stark pin on him on his funeral pyre took me all the way out. Oh like, my God. What a moment. What a moment for him to be 
loved for his sis by his sister, understood by his sister. She understood why he decided to leave her after rescuing her, mm-hmm. after proving his great joyness, and then going to fight and die for Winterfell and defend Bran the same way he did back in season one. You mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. And I, you know, and that scene on the beach at Dragonstone to me was a great example of him embracing both of his families at the same time that he tried to get his ironborn brothers to band with him and go and get Yara despite all the odds. And they're like, fuck you, bruh. We going away. We going to get our plunder. Get the fuck out of here. We ain't interested in dying for your sister. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, nah, we going to do this. And they start fighting on the beach. And Theon wins the fight, which is him paying the iron price. Yep. You know, but like his desires are stark and his means are great joy in that moment. And then he goes and he baptizes himself again in the water. And I was just like, this scene is everything for me. Mm-hmm. This is really where Theon's redemption story hits a great moment. And he's in full stride now. He's in full stride on his redemption story. So I wanted to say that about Theon. And he was my absolute favorite arc. But there is one that comes very close behind for me. And if we're talking about the books, it's my number one pick. But since we're talking about the show, it's my number two. And my honorable mention goes to Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. Because I love a redemption story. I mean, Theon had a complete, beautiful redemption story. And Jamie, his redemption story was not a redemption story. (laughs) It's a fucking tragedy. It's a fucking tragedy. And I, and I love that. I love it. Like, not every redemption story ends with your would-be hero overcoming all the odds and all the demons in their head. Sometimes they succumb to the demons in their head. And to me... Jamie's demons were all of the voices that told him he ain't shit, that he's a Lannister, he ain't gonna be nothing but a fucking asshole who don't give a shit about nobody, he's a fucking Kingslayer, he's just as trash as his sister, he's not worthy of love, the only person who's worthy of loving him and him loving back is his sister. And you think that Jamie is gonna live out a happy life with Brienne in the north, stay away from his sister who has sent Bronn to fucking kill him and his brother. Like, Cersei ain't playing. He knows that Cersei's trying to fuck him up permanently. Mm-hmm. But when he hears that the odds have turned and it's about to go down in King's Landing, he has to go back to his sister and... That's when his redemption arc stops and his tragedy really begins. And I think it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and painful. And part of the hurt that hurts so good when you watch Game of Thrones. So, man, I love me some Jamie Lannister. Um, He died in the arms of the woman that he loved and that's all he ever wanted. But 
his story actually ends with Brienne writing his good deeds in it's either called the white book or the book of brothers it might be called the white book on the show and the book of brothers in the books mm-hmm. um but i've heard i've heard it referred to as both and i think it's a fitting end that finally people get to hear all of his good deeds and it's written down for posterity because jamie lannister was a fucking badass he was a dick he was a fucking asshole but he did some really wonderful things living in this area of gray and i think that book jamie in particular is a remarkable character by far and away one of my favorite characters in literature just overall so i gotta give a shout to to jamie lannister's art during this conversation i i think it's well deserved i take no issue i i love jamie's arc it's like you said i love a good redemption arc although you know i have mixed feelings about sort of the very very end of it all um but there's but i still like it right like i still find um entertainment in the tragedy of him not feeling like maybe he deserved more or could have had more had he stayed with brienne rather than returning to cersei um I don't, so I know he loves Cersei, and I know at some point we're going to talk about, like, deaths and, and sort of favorite deaths and how we feel about certain deaths on the show. Um, I don't know that I love that. I, I appreciate and respect it in, the, in terms of his overall character arc, but I hate sort of, I, I, I will say I don't love sort of this build-up to this expectation that I always thought that Jamie and Cersei would die together. Let, let me be very clear about that. But this idea of him dying in the arms of the woman that he loved. Yes, he loved Cersei. I, I kind of hated that he died with her. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pull any punches with that. I, I, I did. I'm not saying he needed to die with Brienne, but it goes back to. I think earlier you mentioned Jamie's arc and sort of uh, the episode. We talked about episode uh, seasons three and four and how much we loved sort of the bathtub scene between. I'm calling it a bathtub. It's not a fucking bathtub, but you know what I mean. The scene between Jamie and Brienne where he tells her, you know, why he chose to kill the Mad King. And I, I think if I'm going to nitpick one little teeny tiny pit of his arc, and his portion of his arc, and it's not even a nitpick. Like, I, I get it from the Jamie perspective, but there is part of me that, that sort of questioned when he comes back from River Run, particularly after the Blackfish reads him for filth. You know what I mean? Like, just completely drags him. And he comes back and sort of doubles down on his devotion to Cersei. Always kind of, I don't even to say it bothered me, but it, it sort of raised some questions for me. Um, because, you know, he killed the Mad King because the Mad King was going to kill all of these innocent people. And then you come back and you find out that your sister has done the absolute same thing. And and in doing so, you also lost a son. And it's not a knock towards his character arc. 
But it's another thing about sort of, I think, having more episodes in a season. I wish that we had had a little bit more time to unpack that and sort of tease that out. Like, you know, this is a man who has tolerated this terrible reputation for killing a king who was, you know, basically prepared to do the same thing that his sister did to the people in the set, like kill a whole shit ton of, of innocent people. And he, he, he stabbed that guy. And I, I don't question, like, I totally get why he wouldn't do the same to Cersei. I, I don't call any in, into question any of that. But I do wish we had gotten some some more time to, to explore that conflict, right? Between the guy who did that with the Mad Queen, the Mad King versus the guy who chose to sort of accept it with the Mad Queen who killed all of these innocent people in the set. That would be my only sort of, I wish we had gotten more from Jamie, but otherwise, I love the story arc. I love Jamie. I love Nikolai. I just, it's perfect casting. It's just really, I think, one of the better. I think he and Theon in particular, those, those two story arcs are very satisfying as a viewer of the show. Um, and I think that they're the kind of story arcs that are certainly um, enhanced by reading the books, but I think that you will certainly get a deep level of satisfaction just being a viewer only of the show. Yeah, I mean, all of the reasons that you just outlined is why Jamie gets the honorable mention for me on the arc, because the River Run scene happens in the books, but everything after that is very different mm-hmm. in the books. So all of the things that you outlined, I was just like, yeah, one probably should have stuck with the books on this track because it makes more sense but as it relates to Jamie's arc but I could kind of understand the choices that y'all are making here and making him come back and not being and being all right or maybe he's just afraid of Cersei and that's why he ain't saying shit yeah he like he knows to be afraid but like it would have been good to have some of that insight into how he was really feeling even though Nikolai could say so much with just one look, Kim and Lena are like king and queen of that shit. Mm-hmm. But we really needed more of his POV on that in order for that to make sense. So yeah, it's part of the reason why it was definitely the second favorite as opposed to the absolute favorite arc. Favorite arc of mine. Which is our sweet um, baby Theon. I'm so glad that we have celebrated Theon because Theon deserves and and frankly I think Jamie deserves it too despite you know our sort of contention with some of it I I just they're just both so well deserved and well fitting so I'm happy but who didn't deserve it oh girl (laughs) well where do you want me to start with least favorite character art so I had a few and I'm trying to think of which one of these a handful I'm gonna pick I think I, I, so I'm just going to very quickly run through a few of the thing, the people that I have on my uh, notes, and then I guess that'll on the one that I really want to talk about. I, I had a note for Varys, but then, like you, I had this, this sort of internal debate about whether or not Varys, I mean, it's a, it's an issue of character arcs, right? So it doesn't matter, if, like, whether they're minor or major, but I wondered, I it prompted this debate with internally about whether... Varys was minor and major, and that's it. Okay, I'm gonna let Varys go. Then I moved on to Tyrion. 
because I kind of hate how fucking stupid Tyrion is towards the end. I'm just keeping it a buck. I like Tyrion, but that motherfucker was not making good choices towards the end of, of it all. And that was a little bit frustrating for someone who had been so strategic and so smart. And and so that was an issue. And I think he's probably my runner-up, which left me with then two people. One would be Marjorie. Not because I don't love Marjorie. I fucking love Marjorie Tyrell, but I just think that she deserved better than a character arc that, that concluded with her dying because of that goddamn hot fucking sparrow, which is why he was my least favorite minor character. So I put her to the side. And then I landed on Littlefinger <laughs> because... Littlefinger is someone who had been such a player and been so, you know, so strategic and, and just sort of been really connected to sort of the quote-unquote the game of it all. And um, you guys know I love Arya, so obviously I have no issues with the conclusion in which Littlefinger goes down because Arya and Sansa get together, figure out what his hustle is and take, and take him down. But I just felt like the development that we had had with him in terms of being a player, understanding how things go, it kind of felt wasted in the end for him to go down the way that he did. Now, for him to go down because he didn't understand or appreciate the supernatural, totally okay with that. Totally fine with that. But this idea that he was just so kind of, I think, blind to this alleged love and, I guess, devotion to Sansa, kind of, it was a choice. And I'm not saying it's a choice that didn't make sense or wasn't necessarily already kind of built up in the story, given his party obsession with Kat. I just, I don't know. He had been such a smart, manipulative, conniving person. There's a part of me that wanted him to have, like, one more move. Or even if it wasn't, like, another move. Just for him to have at least lasted long enough for, like, the shit to hit the fan. So, like, I mean, can you imagine the scenes that we could have gotten? If Littlefinger had made it. To when Daenerys arrives in Winterfell and she's got Varys in tow. Like, we could have had one that's more. That's all I wanted. I just wanted one more conversation and, and, and with Littlefinger and Varys. Yes, and that that's really what it is for me. It's not even that I take issue with the fact that I, I completely accept that sometimes even, like, the most brilliant players of the game, like, get tripped up in their own, like, personal vendettas or personal obsessions. All of that tracks for me. I, I don't have an issue with that. I think it's sort of the selfish part of me that would have loved. Because one of my favorite... I like very little about Winterfell once John and Sansa reunite and they're in Winterfell. I, I like very little of any of the writing for that. But one of the few moments I do like is when someone announces... You know, when they're having one of those, like... It's not a town hall meeting, but it's a meeting where every fucking body from the north is in one room. And someone sort of announces that Tyrion has aligned himself with Daenerys. And there's and they pan to Littlefinger and this look on his face. Because I think that if you were to have a conversation with, 
with Littlefinger. I think there's probably two people in the entire Seven Kingdoms that he respected, and I think one is Varys, the other is Tyrion. So this idea that, that Tyrion has now aligned himself with the Dragon Queen, my God, like, give me the Varys Littlefinger scene, and then give me a good old Varys Tyrion scene after Tyrion, you know, arrives at Winterfell as part of of Danny's entourage. So I, I say all that to say is that it's not that I take, that I necessarily take issue with the writing. I, I can completely admit that this is all coming from a very selfish place as a viewer who would have loved to have seen like one more little thing of Vera scene. One really good exchange between, um, Littlefinger and Tyrion. And, and that's, I think, why he kind of landed in, like, first place for my least favorite character arcs. What about you, Christine? Any thoughts about the little finger of it all? Or, and, of course, we want to hear, like, what your character, who who got the worst character arc, in your opinion? Who got Signs of the Beast yeah. for me? Yes. Well, I think with, with Littlefinger, listen, again, I'm happy with where everyone ended up. Maybe with the exception of Varys, but I am totally happy with where everyone is, dead or alive, at the end of Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. including Littlefinger. Like, I knew that he was going down and it was going to be an Arya Sansa team up in order to bring him down. The way it was done, mm, you know, we, we could have done with a little bit more time, again, with Arya and Sansa. So that we understood that they they were not trying to kill each other. Mm -hmm. That would have been nice. But I was still good with where Littlefinger ended up. For me, with the character arcs, it's not going to be a problem necessarily with the arc itself. Meaning like the beginning, the middle, and the end for the character. But the treatment of the arc. And is gonna be Danny for me I think we needed more episodes in season seven and eight in order to make the audience understand that Danny is the anti-hero in this story mm -hmm. and to me they did not give her the time and attention and treatment needed in order to properly fulfill that role and I think it would have been incredible with enough time and attention and treatment. Her story is an incredible one. I think, I've, and I've said this multiple times, for me, Danny is the embodiment of white privilege mm -hmm. and just this person who wants all of the benefits of her privilege and none of the responsibilities of it. She is more than willing to take her Targaryen name to the bank, but doesn't want to acknowledge or be responsible for the deeds of her ancestors. Right. Don't come to me with that shit. But I still think it's like a great flaw for her to have. And they gave that time and attention, and you could see that as a great character flaw, right? Now, mm -hmm. her lust for power, they have been hinting at that from the very beginning. She walks towards Khal Drogo before even being summoned to him. 
she's she's drawn to power. Mm-hmm. She has been she has been infused with the quest for the Iron Throne, even though it wasn't supposed to be her quest. But she took it on readily. So her lust for power was there and slowly being built up. And then all of a sudden we get to season seven and she's burning people left and right. Like it, it was just so sudden and it made sense in terms of the building of her character and where she was going to eventually end up. But because they took three episodes away from us in season seven and a whole four episodes away from us in season six, we don't see we don't see it unveiling. Right. It's just all of a sudden there in your face. And it's like Meh! and it and it all relates to Miss Sandai being executed, which is bullshit. Like this has always been there in Danny. It's always been there Mm -hmm. but because it was so fucking sudden it just seems like she became this different person when Missandei died when really this has been her all along so it's really disappointing because she could have made such an amazing anti-hero right and I feel like they just kind of they kind of messed that up by not giving us the time that we needed with Danny. So yeah. So her arc, fucking badass arc if you ask me, but the treatment of it not so good. Holy agree. I um I I think you have put a perfect sort of point on that. <laughs> I mean, well, anything else? We'll see when the Danny stands come from my ass on Twitter. We'll see. Well, okay, okay. Well, then let me just say, remember when I said this is that this is not a debate me bro podcast? We don't give a fuck. Like, you can come. But let me be very clear. You have not been sent for. So, if you come to one of us personally, you might get the fuck blocked. And I'm going to tell you, we've been... I'm not even going to get into some of the really, <laughs> uh, uh, some of the questionable opinions we've gotten <laughs> on social media, but let me just, just rest it short. Like, personally speaking, you're talking, like, per- okay, this is Jocelyn. Hi, I've got nearly 7,000 people on my block list on Twitter, so. <laughs> when I say... I don't engage in the bullshit. Let me be very, very clear. Like, my instinct is, like, Twitter is going to be my happy place. Every now and then, I may terrorize the timeline with a video of a turkey being penetrated by a big block of cheese. But You are the worst person on the planet for doing that shit. (laughs) Sorry. But outside of that kind of bullshit, I don't do the whole, like, I I don't, I kind of feel like my very first rate here makes it clear that I don't do the stands, I don't do that bullshit, so I just, you know, I mean, let's be very clear, I'm not here for that kind of 
dialogue. I'm, I'm just not. I, I don't do it. It's not my jam. Because it's not fun. So, I mean, you, you can come if you want. You just get fucking blocked. I mean, you know. Anyhow. So, to sum it up, and to quote the great, great Kenya Moore, do not come for me unless I send for you. Moving on. So, let's wrap it up, Christine. All right, so we talked about... Oh, wait, have I talked about my least favorite character arc? Oh, I guess I gotta do that. Did I do that already? I talked about Littlefinger. Okay, I've done that. All right. <laughs> you drunk ass! It is time to cancel you. Yeah, this is really a problem. <laughs> like, I gotta stop I gotta stop sipping between categories. Okay. Death is the next category, which is so dark, and even darker than my dark Scorpio soul can bear. But, Christine... Your favorite death. This is Game of Thrones. Yes. Game of Thrones. What was your favorite death? This is crazy because I had like a whole fucking list of deaths. And it was like my favorite death, my most satisfying death, funniest death, most impactful for me emotionally death. So I got to go through all of them. Sorry. So I probably already said this, but my favorite death is definitely Olena Tyrell's. She fucking owned that scene. She's the only person in the history of Game of Thrones to own their fucking death scene. She fucking made Jamie feel like an ass. This was like supposed to be his one victory. And it was like River Run all over again where you feel like shit at the end of the day because your elder was like, you stupid son. Like, what's wrong with you? You're so disappointed. Olena, number one, fucking loved it. The most satisfying for me was probably Ramsey's. It felt like just desserts, him getting his fucking face ripped off by his dogs as Sansa looked on and walked away with a little smile on her face. Fucking loved it. The one that makes me laugh each and every fucking time I see it is one one taking a man from the Night's Wash and just like banging him against the wall. Mm Mm-hmm. That shit makes me laugh every fucking time I see it. So it is definitely one of my favorites. And Game of Thrones, again, I say this time and time again, part of the magic is that it makes you hurt so good. And so there are three deaths that scarred the shit out of me. And that's Oberyn Martell's, Mm -hmm. which I knew was happening because I had read the books. And hosted a watch party just so people could be there to support me at the end of the episode. Like, typically, I do that for my friends. But that watch party, I did for myself. Shireen's was the first to ever make me cry. And a tear escaped. And the one that I fucking sobbed, already mentioned it, was Hodor's. So, I had to mention all of those deaths. Because they were all, they were all so great. In, in their own way. What about you? What kind of deaths were you into? Okay. So. I'm going to keep it brief. I have my favorite. So you've mentioned Ramsey. And Ramsey was a runner up. But my favorite death. Was the death of Walter Frey. And all of the Frey family. At the hands of her good sister Arya. Um, I love Arya. Yes. And. That was some delightful as shit. And as a Scorpio, y'all know the vengeance part of it is my jam. And I I mean just the look of shock on his face 
where he's like, you know, where are my sons or whatever the fuck it is he says. And she's like, they're here, my lord. Right here, my lord. Okay, pardon my terrible accent, but <laughs> she's just like, they're right here, my lord. And I'm like, yeah, it's queen. I'm like, I know, this makes me among the league of basic ass pumpkin spice latte bitches. But God damn it, I'm going to be the fucking president of the basic league of pumpkin spice latte ass bitches because when that mother when that girl was like they're right here my lord and that motherfucker realized he was eating his own sons listen i just stood on my feet and i applauded and it was amazing it was that might have been orgasmic level. I mean, it was good. It was better than a good meal. I mean, I think that was, like, good sex level. It was good. It was good. So, that's my fave death. Um, In terms of least favorite deaths, I think I've touched on this. And, Christine, I think you've touched on this. So, I hated Shireen, but I think you've touched on all of the reasons why Shireen was terrible. So, I'm not even going to rehash that. Um, did not love Jamie's death, and I think I've touched on that briefly as well, um, in terms of dying in the arms of the woman he loved. I will, in honor of myself and our, our sweet BB Lauren, who I love and adore, I'm gonna go down with the Brainy ship, so I'm gonna always have issues with Jamie dying with Cersei. I know that Jamie had to die with Cersei, I get that, but it doesn't mean that I have to be like, you know, all, yay, whatever, yeah, screaming about it. I was not. Whatever. Um, and I think I've touched on what I ultimately landed on is my least favorite death scene, which was fucking Marjorie dying because of that goddamn high fucking sparrow. Marjorie was always the smartest bitch in the fucking room. And so, good sis Marjorie realized if the jig was up, Cersei wasn't showing up because guess what? Cersei had a plan in place and Cersei was like to burn that motherfucking down. So it just really sort of really rocked my soul and bothered me that our good sis Marjorie sort of understood that even in her last moment she was the smartest person in the room before she met her final farewell. Fuck the High Sparrow and his self-confidence, his sort of obnoxiousness his like sort of like self-righteousness fuck that dude because marjorie should still be here and i wanted more from marjorie i love marjorie tyrell i love elena but i really love marjorie too so there's that you know who else should fucking be here someone who they killed on the show and he's still alive in the books killed him before the point in which the books had stopped, the death that I am the most upset about, the death that I hate the most, is Sir Barristan fucking Selmy. The way they had Sir Barristan go down was so not worthy of the greatest knight in the fucking Seven Kingdoms. I was so pissed that he went out basically in an alley in Marine. By the Sons of the Harpy. It has been four years and I'm still pissed off about this shit. I'm still mad. Still mad, y'all. Sir Barristan did not deserve that shit. And Danny basically said as much the next fucking episode. So 
I need some fucking justice for Sir Barristan. It's some bullshit. I need the books to come out and give me a proper death for Sir Barristan. It's some bullshit the way he went down. Bullshit. That's all I have to say about that. I join you in this rage. Well, let's go out with some positivity. What are we moving on to? Are we on thirst traps? <laughs> Drunk ass. Uh, yeah, I know. Let's let's stick to the positivity. Let's 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 start moving towards closing on a positive note. You and I are both known to enjoy a good thirst trap, Miss Jocelyn. So tell me, who was your number one thirst trap? <sighs> season one to season eight. Who got it? Who could get it? Okay. So I feel like for those that know me, you know good and damn well I'm not gonna have one thirst trap. So, Christina, I don't even know why you asked me for just the one. So, I've got a few, but I'm going to keep it brief. So, let me just say, first and foremost, that when I think about who is the thirst trap, I think about a very important rubric. And you know what that rubric is, Christine? It is, who is going to let you sit on their motherfucking face? And I came up with three people. <laughs> First, Freaky Prince, a.k.a. Oberyn Martell. He is absolutely going to let you sit on his face. Second, not to be outside, Tormund. Tormund is absolutely with that beard, child. Yes, he's going to let you sit on his face. I'm, I'm just, listen, you guys, I'm just trying to help you, like, live your best vibes. And I'm just going to tell you, in this economy and in 2019, you need to be seriously thinking about who is going to let you sit on their face. I'm just, I'm just, listen, I just put it out there. I don't give a shit. Okay. And third, thirst trap is Yara. I have determined that Freaky Prince, aka Oberyn, Torment and Yara are the characters most likely to allow you to sit on their face and the ones that I would risk it all for and I would totally I have a lot of deep thirst and lust for and whoo child if my family listens to this one I apologize I'm sorry to this man I don't know this man I you know it is what it is but can I give you my runner up Christine? Of course go right ahead. Alright so my runner up and this is after Freaky Prince Oberyn Tormund and Yara. I just want to repeat those three again because those are my three leads. But my runner-up is my sweet, precious, sarcastic, salty, beady, dolorous Ed. So, gotta tell <laughs> you. Yes! <laughs> one expecting that one was yeah. So, listen. Mm -mm. Okay, here's the thing about Dolorous Ed. Prickly people, they kind of do it for me. So, okay, this probably goes back to my origin story as a young child who watched a lot of Sesame Street and who really enjoyed, like, sort of the Bert and Ernie dynamic. Like, I love sort of the prickliness of Bert against, like, the playfulness of an Ernie who eats cookies and crackers in bed and giggles and laughs a lot. And so that dynamic is kind of my jam. And I like a good Bert and Ernie dynamic. And so even for the relationships that haven't worked out, 
when I think about it in hindsight, I've always kind of had a burden earning dynamic with my um, significant others. And, you know, I like to date the Bert, and I want to be the Ernie. As salty as I am, I want to be the Ernie. Like, I want to be the person bringing the cookies and crackers into the bed while, you know, you're really salty with your unibrow, and you're cranky, and it's like, it's good. It works for us. And I feel like I could get a really good Bert and Ernie dynamic going with Dolores Ed, and I kind of want to be the Ernie to his Bert. And so... There it is. There is my overshare, Christine. I love it. I love it. I, I got a follow-up question for you, though. Oh, okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Okay. Oberyn Martell, Yara Greyjoy, Tormund Giant Spain, and go. Okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Okay. I am going to marry Yara, without doubt, because I feel like Yara is just good i feel like yara is loyal yara is gonna be like 10 toes down yara is the one that if i come to yara and i'm like listen we got a i got a problem with someone yara is going to be like oh bitch we got a problem with someone and that's kind of the, that's the sort of the vibe that i'm looking for so i'm definitely marrying yara let's just be very clear there i i love yara and marrying yara i'm risking it all for yara and i know that yara is going to risk it all for me which then breaks it down to kill and fuck well mm, this is difficult because both of these men understand that their faces are basically furniture so it's gonna be an issue of who am I gonna kill I'm just gonna follow the show's lead so I'm gonna kill Oberyn and fuck Tormund there it is boom good lord <laughs> keep all of that in. <laughs> okay, Christine, tell us about your thirst traps. Well, listen, it, I mean, it probably goes without saying that the pansexual prince yes. is my number one thirst trap, Mr. Oberyn Martell. I mean, if anyone's going to keep shit spicy in the bedroom, it's that one. So definitely number one. But number two has to be the first thirst trap, Mr. Oh My Loins, Jamie Lannister. Mm. Not to mention that both you and I got the privilege of getting our picture taken with Nikolai this summer at Con of Thrones. And Jocelyn, what did you say about Nikolai? Listen, listen, listen. Let me tell y'all something right now. I said what I said about Yara, Tormund, Dolorset, and Freaky Prince. But Nikolai smells fucking really amazing. He smells like fresh soup. Like, his body, I mean, just, it just smells good. And I cannot, I cannot underestimate just how, like, amazing it is like listen i've done my fair share of these like you know picks when you go to the cons the blah 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 and like the only moment that kind of so i had a really bad moment with an actor i'm not gonna name his name i'm not gonna name the show i'm gonna focus on positive so in terms of positive experiences prior to this my positive experiences is when i took 
for fans of The Walking Dead, I did a picture with Andrew Lincoln and Norman Reedus. And if people listen to The Walking Dead, y'all know. People that watch The Walking Dead really love them so fucking Norman Reedus. And, like, he heard my voice, and he was like, oh, I like your voice. And I'm like, oh, thank you, I'm pregnant. You're dead. Okay. So... That was all fine and well. Like, Norman Reed is telling me that I had a really sweet voice. But the smell of the Nikolai does not compare. It's in another... It's just in another universe. Y'all, he smelled good. He just smelled like fresh soap. And I just wanted to, like... It's like when Prince tells you to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. I wanted to purify myself in the smells of Nikolai. I can't be mad at that. The man did smell absolutely delicious. But I gotta say that season 7 and 8, Jamie, like fresh off the road with the beard and the longish hair does it for me each and every fucking time so thank you mr nicolai for your portrayal of jamie lannister and helping a girl fulfill her fantasies in the evenings i appreciate you jocelyn i have a super important question for you oh okay 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 who's hotter dario one or dario two? oh oh <laughs> okay let 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 me let me just say this Right here, right now, definitively, it is fucking Dario number two. That be- Yes! That being said, that being said, in this house, we also stand Dario number one because when they were doing the whole whitewashing thing of, like, Asian characters in certain movies, Dario number one, that actor- Ed Screen, I think it's his last name, stepped up and he was like, no, I will not be involved with the shits. I'm not going to do it. And he, like, literally declined a role because of it. So I will always have, like, all of the respect and adoration for Dario number one in my mind. And it's, like, one of the reasons why I still follow him on social media. But if we're just getting down to the looks of it all, bitch, that. Dario number two, and y'all need to watch, watch Game of Thrones, watch um, Orphan Black, because he's, like, super delicious there. I mean, Dario number two is, I mean, he is the tits, babes. I mean, what do you think, Christine? Who are you taking? One or two? No, number two. Always. Listen. Always. When they had that scene where they come around, I can't even remember what season it is. It's a season where, like, Tyrion is left in charge and Danny like lands on top of the building and like they start attacking. I think it's like the masters who are plotting against Danny and like Dario comes around like with the Dothraki with that 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 thing in his hand, the sword that the Dothraki use. Ooh, ooh, ooh. L- listen, listen, baby. Woo! For me, the scene that did it was when they were in front of the when they were in front of the gates of marine and the Marinese send out their champion and he he pees in front of everybody like you ain't shit this is what i think of you and he's on his horse and he's charging and dario just like walks out 
and he takes a knife and just throws it into, I think, the eye of the horse. And the rider, of course, ends up falling and he just kills him hella easily. And I was just like, damn, that was kind of fucking sexy. Even though not a fan of animal violence whatsoever. Like, those are the scenes that I always close my eyes for if I know that they're coming. But I'm sorry. That that saunter up sexy as fuck. Listen. I mean, there's not a bad choice, but if you gotta make a choice, I mean, it's story number two. If you're gonna if you're gonna sort of flavor in the sort of social consciousness of it all, okay. Dario number one. I I still like both of them. I don't know. Can I just have a delicious Dario sandwich between the two? Yes. They can be your bread. Amen. Yes. Excellent. Okay, and I have one last fun question for you. Okay. Do you have a favorite failed fan theory? <clears throat> yes. Brand is not the fucking Night King, guys. He's not the fucking <laughs> Night King, okay? Let it the fuck go. Let it, listen, listen. We all have to reach a point in our lives at times where we have to, like, let some shit go that we really wanted to. And that's the one. Christine, and, and that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that because I spent a lot of time on the thirst and the hotness of it all. And I'm just sort of luxuriating in my Dario 1 and 2 feels right now by Christine. What is your favorite fan theory that you were happy that was proven wrong? Well, I've got three. Go for it. And it's not necessarily that they were proven wrong. They were just fun for me, I think, to think about. On the more serious note, the fetus that was promised. (laughs) So the fact that um, Danny and John might have conceived a child. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. Right. I love that theory. I was super into it. I think my absolute favorite theory is that the Night King is a proto-Stark. So that's where the name Todrick came from. Um, It was a Con of Thrones panel, and I think it was a great debate again, and it was the best Stark. I mean, people were nominating folks like Tony Stark. Anyway, this one dude nominated the Night King because of a theory first posited by Smokescreen on YouTube that the Night King may be a proto-Stark, meaning like an ancient Stark, one of the first Starks Mm -hmm. to be in Westeros. So he got put up there and folks were like, well, we need to name him. And folks threw out all types of names and Todrick Stark is the one that stuck. So the Night King is a proto-Stark is one of my favorite, favorite theories. All hail the one true king, Todrick Stark. Mm-hmm. And for delight's sake, Varys is a merman. Oh, yes. Yes. I would put, up, I would put that up there with um, Roos being a vampire. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But yeah, those were fun. Those were absolutely fun. Like, the fandom can be super serious. I mean, folks broke down that R plus J equals... Sorry, I always keep saying R plus J. Folks broke down that R plus L equals J years before it was revealed on the show. Mm -hmm. You know, so folks are definitely on point with their fan theories and 
really diving down deep into the words of the books and breaking down everything. But some of this other shit was just like ridiculous. Varys is mm-hmm. a merman. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. But I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was funny. It was funny. All right, girl. So let's wrap this up with a nice little bow. What the fuck's next for Game of Thrones? I mean, it's been eight seasons. It revolutionized television. It was the most pirated show in history. Shit, we're still talking about it. What the fuck's next? I mean, I'm going to keep it a buck with you, Christine. In my notes, I had a whole lot of I don't care. (laughs) 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 That being said, we know that we have some, uh, we have at least one um, spinoff. On the way, um, and another one that was recently basically canceled. So, do you have any thoughts um, about the sequel of it? The sequel discourse. Um, like I said, I just, I, I love the show. I love that it brought us together. I still feel like I'm very much in need of sort of some distance. So. I, I don't know, 2020, I'm not sure that I'm doing anything. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, my feelings may change, but I just, I still need some space and some time. Um, but I don't know. Christine, tell us your thoughts. Prequels. Tyrion suggests 10 years, so you're fine. Don't pressure yourself with 2020 for a deadline of being okay with everything and being ready for more game of thrones you give it 10 years it'll be fine but in case folks haven't been following this hbo commissioned the development of like four or five spinoffs right and they only ordered the pilot of one of those Mm spinoffs which was an age of heroes tale with jane goodman as the showrunner and so they did a pilot and they cast Naomi Watts, Miranda Richardson, and J.B. Campbell Bauer in that pilot. And the show was canceled last month. So that shit is not happening. Um, it was one of the four or five, and that has been scratched. And on the same day that they announced that the show was scrapped, and folks in the fandom were like, what the f- like are we gonna get a show like just a few hours later they were like yes you are gonna get a show and get this we have already greenlit 10 episodes of the first season of the house of the dragon and everybody had whiplash so obviously the show is going to be centered on house targaryen it's going to be set a couple of centuries before the events of a song of ice and fire And it's going to be based on the imaginary history that has been written in George R. R. Martin's latest book, Fire and Blood. So I've read Fire and Blood. I really enjoyed it. Um, But it's, again, it's very Targaryen-centric. It goes from, it it starts with um, the conquest. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this. Like, is each season going to be a Targaryen ruler? Um, Are we going to get the Dance of Dragons? There's a lot of questions, even based on this announcement. So George is involved in it. 
And he has promised us in his blog that he won't be involved with the scripts until he's done with The Winds of Winter. Right. So, right. So, I mean, this leads into, are we ever going to get the books in our discussion of what's next? You know, like, the show and season eight has made me want the books even more. Because, like like I've been saying all episode or multiple episodes long. I'm okay with where everybody ended up, but I wasn't necessarily cool with the treatment of certain arcs because I felt like we didn't get any time. And George is going to give us that time and detail and care. So I'm really looking forward to see how things unfold in the books. But if he's going to be super involved in this show, I don't know how long we're going to be waiting for the winds of winter and shit if a dream of spring ever arrives, you know? Yeah, it's it's so interesting that you say that because, okay, also going back to my podcast notes, (laughs) it's like, don't know, don't care, I'm not reading them. (laughs) So that's where I stand on it. Um, I do want to know how George is going to treat some of these characters and And I think that in the months subsequent to the conclusion of the show, we've learned that a lot of these conclusions are in fact going to be the conclusions for some of the characters in the book. And I'm not, I'm not going to sort of flag, you know, specifically what's been said because there may be some people who are, I guess, holding out to sort of discover things when they read the books. But I guess from my perspective, I don't know, like, I've done this series, and that was a lot, and it was a huge commitment, so I just really want the internet to read the books, and then I want to go on Reddit, and I want to get me a nice, concise uh, summary, and I think based on that summary, I will decide whether or not I'm going to read what comes out. I'm still very, um, I guess, cynical about the idea of the series being finished in its totality, um, and I guess that sort of also makes me a little bit more hesitant to be excited or to look forward to what's coming in the books, although I am on the same page with you. I think that, like, uh, a lot of my issues had nothing to do with sort of where characters ended it, sort of the how they got there, and I think that based on sort of my experience from reading the books, I think that going to get so much more development in terms of the how you know people ended up where they ended up and and that's something certainly like as jaded as I am I am I'm still interested in experiencing I'm just not completely sure if it's something that I feel like I need to experience firsthand or if it's something that I'm willing to like let other people experience firsthand and then just sort of you know, read their summaries and read their accounts. It's just, it's been such a huge investment um, between the books thus far and um, and the show itself. Um, I'm just not, I'm not sure. I, like I said, I think 2020, catch me in a year from now, I may feel differently about the written material and the content and, and how I feel about it, I think right now I just still feel very kind of burned out and, and, and very much in need of a break from all of it. Um, but that being said, that curi- that curiosity is still certainly there about sort of how the books get to 
certain endings that we know as as you know viewers of the show and people who read the discourse and read sort of the the media content um just know sort of getting a better grasp of how they get there is is still something that piques my interest so i i can't say that i'm just like oh no i never want to hear from it again i mean the interest is it's always going to be there for sure so in about eight months from now the fandom is going to be gathering in Orlando for the fourth annual Con of Thrones. Is that right? Is it number four? I think so. Yes, I think this is number four. Yep. So, again, Con of Thrones is this annual convention that's put on by Mischief Management in partnership with Watchers on the Wall, where folks... Go to panels, discussions, karaoke, quiz nights, all types of shit, and it's all about Game of Thrones. There are some, like, book-only panels, show-only panels, like, it's a mix of folks, but everybody loves the show, and it's centered around the show. Um, So, it's going to be the first one where we have absolutely no new material and don't have a new season of Game of Thrones to speculate about. Because there was a year where we had no Game of Thrones whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but we did have a whole season that was still to come and we could still speculate about. So, I mean, it begs the question, do you think you're even going to go to Con of Thrones next year? Uh, I'm not sure right now because, (laughs) as it stands, I think Con of Thrones is like, maybe a week or two separated from the San Diego Comic-Con. And I had some really good fortune with my purchasing group this year where I've thus far gotten all but one night or one day uh, for for San Diego. So I'm probably going to do San Diego. I don't know that it's going to be feasible for me to do both. Um, that being said, if I don't do Con of Thrones, that's literally going to be the only reason why. I think it's a great experience. I think, as Christine said, I think one of the strengths of Con of Thrones is that it's it's very much a space for you to find your comfort if you're a book fan, a show fan, or even if you're both. It, there's just so much room for you to enjoy yourself with both. Um, they do a great job at sort of getting talent. I think, you know, we were lucky enough this past year in 2019 to both get the opportunity to meet and smell Nikolai Costa-Waldo, which was sort of transformative and, and, and life-affirming, both life-affirming and life-changing. And, and I think that, you know, if there was, like, like a major big-time guest, maybe i try to, like, get my job to allow me to take that much time off but I I say all that to say it's a great experience if you love Game of Thrones I highly recommend Con of Thrones it's such a wonderful experience and I mean like Christine said it's where we met and so there's there's no question whatsoever that you're going to meet wonderful people there um if I don't end up going it's gonna be a little bit hurtful <laughs> on my end it'll, it'll all be my fault to not go but I'm not sure that I'm going to book this year 
I swore that I was going to have the most horrible time at Con of Thrones last year after season eight. Mm -hmm. I was just like so prepared to fight with everybody because of the way the discourse was unfolding online. And I had the best fucking time. Mm -hmm. I had the best time. So I'm thinking about that going into next year and the fact that it's in Orlando and Galaxy's Edge is mere miles away. And I could have a lovely Game of Thrones Star Wars crossover as I go visit the land of the mouse. Mm -hmm. But not fully committed to next year, but I'm leaning towards it. I'm leaning towards it. I always have such a great time and love all of the regulars who go. So. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll I, see. I I don't think there's any question that you will, you will have a, a good time. Um, and anything that can be said about every con, it certainly can't be said about every sort of con that's show specific, but. It's a con where you know you're going to have a good time, and I think that the people that are behind it are very sort of upfront, um, very transparent, and, and it's so important. I say this as someone who survived the great con of the Universal Fan Con a few years ago, and as someone who went to the Walker Stalker Con, which has been having its own sort of bit of controversy, I've not experienced any of that with Con of Thrones, so I highly recommend it. Like I said, if I don't go, it's only going to be because of San Diego and the two being so close in terms of scheduling. Alright, so we've talked about all of the Game of Thrones of it all, but as you know, we've spent the last few weeks talking about Pose, and we want to give a shout-out slash salute to our lovely listener, Lisa, who wrote us in with our very first bit of podcast feedback. Um, You know, not getting into sort of word-by-word everything that Lisa said, but there were two things that stood out to me. So, So Lisa sort of pushed back on our lamenting of the the loss of Angelica Ross um, on Pose and, and sort of you know, challenged us and, and, and feels like, you know, Angelica, the choice of Angelica slash Candy being the one to to have the untimely death was the right choice because of Angelica's strength as an actress. And I think that, Christine, let me know if, if, if I'm saying this wrong, if I'm misstating anything, but I think we both agree with that. I mean, I think that... We certainly both lament the loss of Candy, and I think that we certainly both would have loved to, you know, if they were going to do the development of, of her character, her background, her story, that maybe we would have gotten that development um, before the character's demise. But I think we both agree that that there was a certain weight and gravity of the storyline that was added by having Angelica Ross be the actress who handled, you know, such a lofty and important task on the show. And I think that one of the other things that Lisa points out in her feedback, and thank you so much for the feedback, Lisa. We love you. Thank you for listening. Um, Lisa pointed out to us, and we hadn't realized it, is that the FX site has no fucking merch for Pose. What the fuck, FX? Like, what are you doing? I know that FX is in the transition of 
kind of giving their soul over to the mouse. And by the mouse, I mean the Disney of it all. And I only know this because I am someone who used to watch Sons of Anarchy and there's been some controversy with Kurt Sutter and him being fired, although he has like a lofty contract. And so one of our friends, Lauren and I, have, we've been talking a lot about like the Kurt Sutter of it all and sort of, you know, what's been happening with FX and Disney. But long story short, um... It, it feels like sort of in the midst of their transition, maybe they have lost, um, you know, the the focus that should be afforded to some of, of, of the network's popular, amazing shows. I mean, Pose in particular is a show that gives you iconic quotes and the idea that those iconic quotes would not be captured on mugs and bags and t-shirts is kind of mind it's it's sort of mind-boggling so if you're looking for some some good merch particularly if you are you know here as we are for the house of wind tour um we have previously linked in show notes links to our friend daphne's merchandise um which all centers on you know House of Ventura and watching Pose, we strongly encourage you to check out that. But that being said, FX, get your shit together. Get us some some official Pose merchandise. Like what the hell? Like like I said, you've got a show that has so many quotable moments. It makes no sense for you not to have an entire line of merchandise dedicated to a show that has so many memorable sayings from these dynamic characters. So, what the hell? So, we join you, Lisa. Thank you for the feedback, and we join your rage um, against FX for not properly honoring a show that so very much deserves a, a, a dynamic, amazing line of merchandise. And I also want to praise our good sis, Lisa, for recognizing the importance of chosen family mm-hmm. in her in her letter to us. And she identifies with Blanca a lot, and but she also self-identifies as a straight cis woman. So she does flag that straight out, but she really identifies with Blanca because she's raising and her words, a wonderful queer daughter and all of her trans and gay friends. And when I read that, it just melted my heart and makes me so glad that there are parents out there who are loving and supportive and understanding of who their children are. And they're not trying to change them or their friends in any way, shape or form and are creating safe environments for them to grow up in and never doubt who they are and never feel that they are wrong for who they are. I mean, the suicide rates for members of the LGBT community are tragically high. The homeless rate for LGBT youth, tragically high. And it starts at home, you guys. So Lisa, I support you. I love you. I'm in awe of you. And I really want to lift you up right now because you are amazing amazing so thank you for your letter and more importantly thank you for all of the lives that you are touching every day as a mother as an adopted mother as a god mom as an aunt you are just fantastic and we love you so much absolutely and we want to salute you as a legendary mother in the making 
and I legendary exactly and I've been thinking about it a lot since reading your email and thinking about okay so I in responding in our response to you we challenged you to think start thinking about sort of a legendary house mother name and given your given your roots in acting I thought like either the house of drama or the house of street <laughs> because I mean who doesn't fucking love Meryl Streep would be appropriate maybe house mother house names for for your house so just wanted to put those two out there since i i thought i challenged you to think about it but i've also been we've also been thinking about it a lot since reading your lovely um feedback so we appreciate you adore you and thank you for listening and for reaching out to us which you all can do as well um via multiple platforms we are on twitter and Instagram at morewinepod. And what's our email, Christine? Is it morewinepod at gmail.com? Yes, it indeed it is. So be sure to hit us up there. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode of I'm Gonna Need More Wine. Next week, we're actually going to explore the British television series Fleabag, which you can stream from Amazon Prime. The whole series is six hours long. It's just two seasons. And if you haven't seen it yet, one, what the hell is wrong with you? What are you waiting for? And two, you've got a whole week to watch it before we ruin it for you with spoilers. So check it out. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell everyone you know to do the same. We love reading your reviews, so please rate and review us on your favorite podcast streaming service. We love you, and we thank you for listening. Until next time. Until next week. Ciao. very important wait did you just call me jasmine i did just call you jasmine this is my favorite thing ever okay so hold up hold up let me just give everyone <laughs> a candid story who is jasmine even no but christine this is the second time this has happened on a podcast <laughs> oh really that they called you jasmine instead of jasmine so this one of my like very first experiences on a podcast was Beacon Hills After Dark. And so we're gonna have to leave this in so I can tag Sticky and I can tag Ryan and tag Philip. But like so Beacon Hills After Dark has like a podcast all about like Teen Wolf, which I used to write about and used to like you know, I join their podcast every now and then. And there was one episode where Sticky was like, Okay, Jasmine, and I just rolled with it. I was like, Okay, I'm Jasmine. And so like there are literally people to this day who will be like, We want Jasmine back on the podcast. And so the <laughs> fact that you had just now called me Jasmine. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, I'm no, no. Don't apologize. Like you don't understand. This is one of the most fulfilling full circle moments. I've ever had <laughs> in my entire life <laughs> and as soon as we as soon as we disconnect I'm going to DM Sticky I'm going to DM Ryan who like listens to us every week we love you Ryan thank you so much Ryan for your support thank you Ryan we love you Lisa we're going to get to you in a second Lisa but we just we love if you're listening to us thank you we love you we love you we love you love you but this is now the second time I've been called Jasmine on the podcast and I'm like 
I'm probably gonna call my mom tonight and be like, girl, I think my name is supposed to be Jasmine. <laughs> Just saying. Sorry.